Wow, how blessed are we to have received that. Amen? Amen. You know, as these guys were singing, I couldn't help but that it was their invitation for us to pray that same refrain, uh, order my steps in your word. I started to pray that as I was listening because, to be quite honest with you, today's text is a bit of a bear. Um, It's one of those that speaks of cosmic consequences and yet has um, real-life implications in the here and now that have basic steps that we should all be taking together as we try to follow God and allow Him to order His steps in our Word. But before we get there, I want us to do a little um, activity together, if you'll allow me. It's going to be an exercise in nonverbal communication. So I'm going to do some signs with my hands, and and I want you to either think or even write down, if you're taking notes, what is the emotive quality that David is trying to communicate? Um, So for example, if I do this, don't write down, he's waving at me. That's not the emotional quality that I want you to think about. I'd want you to think, well, he's, he's, he's being friendly. He's welcoming. You follow? All right, let's get started. Now, I loved hearing the answers pop up and percolate as I was doing that. And here's the beauty of the exercise. There are no wrong answers. You all got 100. Congratulations. (laughs) Hopefully, you saw that I paired something rather negative in its emotive quality to something very, I hope, positive, especially that last one, which I had my hands clenched like this. And then I opened them up. I believe that last one is not only something that I'm communicating non-verbally in terms of my hands, but I also believe in that motion, my hands are connected clearly to my heart. For example, hands that are closed, that say me and mine, are indications that my heart is also closed to the Lord, where I say, I might say that I follow you, Jesus, but I'm not going to give you my heart. I'm not going to truly be yours. Whereas when I have hands that are open, hands that are ready to engage in fully invested giving, I hope that I'm also communicating that likewise my heart is 100% God's. And that's where we're trying to land with this fully invested giving sermon title today. You see, I want to steer clear away from this just being a money talk. And God lover Hannah Redmond nailed me to the wall during children's (laughs) sermon. It's not just about money or resources, but what we're talking about is we're talking about our hearts. Because God does not want just 10% of your resources. He doesn't need it. It's not interesting to him, but What is incredibly interesting to him and intriguing to him is when you give him 
100% of your heart. One of my life verses comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33. And I'll read from the King Jimmy James that says, uh, Seek first, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know how the last part ends? And all these things will be added unto you. In other words, when we give God 100% of our heart, not only does he have all that he needs and wants, but moreover, we have all that we need and want from him. It's interesting how this lesson ties so beautifully to Micah 6.8. I don't really think that this is a typical stewardship text, and yet... What I see happening in this 8th century prophet who's, who's speaking to Judah, uh, a nation of the southern kingdom that's long been in disobedience to God, is I, I hear God having a talk about where their heart is. Is their heart fully invested in him? And what we see here is that God is in a courtroom with Judah. I hope that you understood that as our readers were putting that forward. He's in a courtroom, and he's using Micah to read charges against the land of Judah. And what he's saying is, what haven't I done for you? What haven't I done for you? I freed you from slavery. I gave you some of the greatest leaders that your nation will ever know, and Moses, and Aaron, and, and, and Miriam. And then, and then I led you through the wilderness for all of those years, and I, and I kept you alive with, with manna and quail. And then when it was time, I, I took you across the Jordan River. I took you from Siddim, and then I got you into Gilgal. You entered into the promised land, and there you had all that you ever needed, a, a land overflowing with milk and honey. And, and oh yeah, by the way, all during that wondering, I forgave you time and time and time again. Every time that you strayed, I brought you back to me because you are my people. And yet, here in this time, you completely disavow that you know me. Um, you're saying that your hands and your heart are closed to me. And, and that is something that cannot stand. Not because I'm a God of wrath and anger, but because I know that when my people's hands and hearts are closed to me, you cannot live, hear me say this, you cannot live, because I'm talking to you today, you cannot live the life that God is calling you to live. A heart that is completely closed to God, hands that are completely closed to God, cannot embrace the life and the life to full that God promises here in this text, and Jesus later punctuates with his ministry centuries later. Our hands and our hearts must be completely open to God. It's interesting what Judah starts to do here in the courtroom because they start to bargain with God. You might have seen that in the text as they start to say, well, God, we'll open up our hands to you at least, right? We'll up the sacrifices. We'll kill more rams, more bulls. We'll, we'll give you more olives and the olive oil. We'll, we'll give you more stuff. And in so many ways, they are proving that their hearts are far from God. Because inasmuch as they're saying they're going to try to give God more stuff, they're just trying to appease God. They're, they're, they're trying to say, God, we can buy you off. 
We can, we can delay your wrath by, by giving you things that, that we think that you'll need. And God's saying, no, you've, you've got it absolutely wrong. I don't need any of that. And then if it wasn't clear enough, Judah takes one step further, and they show that they're clearly away from God because they said, we'll even sacrifice our firstborn child. Um, we'll even give you our firstborn son, the, the fruit of our soul for the, for the sin of our hearts, they say. And this is something that's practiced by pagan religions of the day. Um, Moab, the nation of Moab, they had a god named Molech, and it was the common practice that you sacrificed your firstborn to Molech. It was, it was terrible. And Israel and Judah, they become so confused that they're saying, we'll even adopt those practices if it means that we can get you off our back. And then that's when God answers with this scripture that I think you've probably heard quoted in one way or another, Micah 6.8. He says, you have heard you have heard it before. You know this. You know this. This is, not, this is not new to you. You know this to be true. You have heard, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Seek justice. Love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. And what God is saying is if you have these qualities of your heart, Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with me. Then there will be no question about your hands and your heart. Because not only will your hands be open to do my will here on earth, but your your heart will be mine. You see, justice, mercy, and humility are the quintessential ingredients of, of what it means to be fully invested in giving not just your resources, but your very life into God's hands. And the implications of each of these are, are real and powerful, and I, I want to take time just to focus on each, if you'll allow me. Uh, the first one, justice, it's this really cool Hebrew word known as mishpat. And what that means is making wrongs right. It means giving somebody their due, whether it be punishment or protection or care. Uh, making peace between one another. And I got to tell you that this week, that word justice has fallen on me with a heavy hand. We've all seen the news and we've seen the terrible things that are happening in Memphis, Tennessee, and that an individual, a young man, an African-American named Tyree Nichols was beaten to death at the hands of five police officers. And what people are crying out for is, is justice. They long for it so much. And, and church, I got to tell you, If it's not the people of God showing this world what justice truly is, then we have no hope, okay? There's not going to be any healing. We can give cursory statements of lifting thoughts and prayers, but inevitably, there's not going to be true justice because the justice that God is talking about is is one of cosmic proportions. It means taking something that, that you see, that you see, and investing your life so that it can be right again. It's, it's connected to this word named mercy, the second quality, hesed. It's what I would like to define. If you're taking notes, please write this down. It's an empathy that inspires action. It's when you've seen something that you cannot unsee. Have you ever had that in your life? 
where you've seen something on TV or you've seen something in real life, whether you were here in Carrollton or serving somewhere in the mission fields, and you've seen something you cannot unsee. It, it rattles you to the very foundations of your heart, soul, and mind. And you know that even though the need is incredibly great, it is greater than you, you still know deep down you are called to do something about it. That's what mercy is. It's empathy that inspires your action, whether that's giving of your resources, your times, your talents. You're personally invested in this life or these lives that you see, and you're saying, I don't just want to pretend I care. I want to show that I care. Somebody told me the other day on a practice field that this is something that uh, is really important, not only out in our world, but in our homes. Parents, this is what this coach said to me, one who's a well-renowned here in our community and has recently retired. He said, kids don't spell love, L-O-V-E. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. You see, this mercy thing is, is when you behold this person that's in your possession, regardless of their age, they're your child, and, and you have such empathy for them that it inspires you to act. And you, you, you want to, but then you got to take the intentional step to give them the time so that they will not just know how much you care, they'll feel how much you care. Mercy, hesed, incredibly important. And then this last phrase, walk humbly with your God. That's a Hebrew idiom for uh, people that have been described all throughout the Old Testament. And it goes to describe those people who followed in God's footsteps. Um, You heard them sing this quartet, um, walk in your word, follow your ways. It's, it's, It's all of us saying that we are not in control of our life. And it! if that's not hard, because this might mean closed hands and closed heart, but you know what's causing that? It's our control. It's this belief that you and I share, you know you have it, as do I, that sometimes, if not all times, we believe we know best, don't we? <laughs> and God's saying, haven't I shown you enough? Haven't I been there time and time again? Like the hymn, great is thy faithfulness, recount your life, think through it. How many times have I intervened for you in a way that has shown me to be your God, a God who loves you and a God who provides for you? So yeah, walk with humility. One of the toughest things to do, but my doesn't it shine when it happens. Last night, I had the great opportunity to go with some of our church members to the Carrollton Villarica basketball game. Uh, it was at the University of West Georgia in the Coliseum. Villarica was there in force. Carrollton folks were there in force. And, and it was a great matchup on the hardwoods. I got to tell you, I, I just, I love basketball, especially when I know one of the players, especially when I know one of the players. Hudson Blackman, who's a senior at Carrollton High School, is also one of the leaders on the varsity basketball team. And I got to tell you that one of the things that impressed me the most about him was his humility on the court. Whenever there was some, um, let's call it friendly tension, Hudson was there to gather his teammates and say, guys, control your emotions. Stay focused on what matters. Stay together. And it's, and it's leaders like these, whether they're youth or whether they're adults, that 
they evoke and emit a humility that allows us to lean in and follow them. Thanks, Hudson, for that amazing illustration last night. So what are we going to do? What are, the, what are the practical implications for fully invested giving here at First Baptist Church? Well, the good news is, is that everyone gets to contribute to fully invested giving. It's not something that pertains to just a certain socioeconomic class or education level. No, everybody gets to be in charge of their own life and making decisions which lift up gifts to God that he will then take and transform into making mercy and justice and humility become banners of not only the church, but the world we're trying to minister to. Because that's what these gifts do. When, when we give God gifts with open hands and open hearts, he uses them as, as extensions of the ministry that he's going to do through Jesus Christ in this world. Open hands, open hearts lead to mercy, justice, and humility in our world. What, what powerful implications we have for that. And so one of the things I want to offer to you today is, I want you to offer your time to God. What a gift to give to God. Offer your time to God through service in this church. Time is one of those things that they're not making more of, okay? We only have a limited time in our day and our week, and time is a precious gift. And so if your gift is just being present and being a person that's serving, asking how I can help, you're a part of the justice and the mercy and the humility that God wants to do through this church. Give of your time. Everybody's got it. Everybody can get it. It's a big gift. You got to make the decision. How are you going to use it? The next is giving of your talents. I believe we're not on a shortage of amazing gifts and abilities here in our congregation. I think we have more than we believe we've ever possessed. Our fear is not that we're inadequate. Our fear is that we're more powerful than we realize, if you've heard that quote before. And that's especially true in our talents and our abilities and our gifts. And all it takes is for someone like you to say, I can do this, how can it help the church? I can do this, how can it lead to ministry to others? And so yeah, your talents, whether it's being able to play basketball, or it's uh, being able to open a door, or drive a car, or whatever it might be, your talents are ways in which truth and justice and mercy and humility come to life here in the church and now. And, and then there's this last part. Okay, so our resources. Resources are things that you have in your possession. Not that they're yours, right? Not that they're yours, but they've been given to you. You're a steward of them. And a steward is going to be challenged to show that he can take excellent care of things or not. And what I want to say is that whether this possession is your home, your car, uh, property, or whether it is your money that is in your pocket... We get the awesome opportunity to say, we want to use this for a transformative purpose in Jesus' name. Because if it just stays ours, if it just stays in your pocket or in your financial portfolio or in your, in your property lineup, guess what it's missing? The ability to do justice, mercy, and humility in Jesus' name. You can't have that unless you with open hands and open hearts say, God, take this. Use it as you will. Because I believe that if we focus on making sure that we serve and take care of the lives that God has charged us, First Baptist Church, to, to shepherd and to help and to care for, then he's going to take care of the rest. So in your uh, order of worship there, there's this handy-dandy impact report. And I'm not going to go through this in, in detail because this is your homework. Every single one of you, this is your homework. 
And it's to first of all know what impact dollars are. These are monies that are given to the church that directly go to changing lives in Jesus' name. It's, it's the return on the investment in the cosmic divine sense. And it's got things that start for as little as a dollar a day. A dollar a day. You can be a part of impact giving. You can be a part of changing someone's life with justice and humility and mercy. And it's got things that are quite more challenging. Uh, my, my concern is not uh, whether or not you're, you're going to do it. My, my concern is whether or not you'll at least consider it. Whether or not you'll at least consider it. Take it home, and I want you to ask this question to yourself as you're studying it. Where is my heart called to give? Where is my heart called to give? Because if you pray that prayer to God, I believe he's going to call you to that place where your gifts, your talents, your time is going to make a difference, okay? Impact dollars which change lives. All of us have this awesome opportunity. And what I believe is because the church has other bills. Church has to pay light bills. The church has to pay heating. A church has to pay maintenance. A church has a personnel budget. What I believe is if we take care of this, church, if we take care of an impact report, and not all things are listed here, but if we take care of this and we give first to God in these things, if we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto us. I don't have any doubt that the light bills will be paid. <laughs> I don't have any, any doubt that, uh, that we're going to be able to repaint the sanctuary when it's time. But let's be first and foremost laser-focused on the lives that we are charged to change in Jesus' name. Let's be laser-like focused in the, in, the, in the time and the talents and the resources we can offer so that we can seek justice. We can love mercy and we can walk humbly with our God. And here's what I believe. All these things... All these things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, remember that? All these things will be added unto you. Open hands. Can you just show me that? Open hands. Open hearts. All these things. We pray? <clears throat> God, with uh, open hands and open hearts, we come to you. And we ask, oh God, that you take our time, you take our talents, you take our resources, and that you use them, oh God, to do justice, mercy, and the humility necessary within our hearts and others so that we will walk beside you. And so, God, at the end of our lives, when we've given faithfully in these ways and to you, we won't find ourselves in a courtroom, find ourselves in a place of celebration where you will reveal to all of us, look at what your open hands and your open hearts did. This person's life was saved. This person's life was changed. This person who thought there was no way found a way because you decided, you decided in faith to have open hands and open hearts with me. What a celebration that will be. And as such, God, we turn now to a song that reflects that we are seeking you first, the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto us. Amen? We take your hymnal, will you open it up to that 
hymn page there that's listed in your order of worship. And will you sing with us? Sing and meditate on the words that we will seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto us as we respond. Would you please stand?